morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, December 1st, we are studying 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 to 27. In today's text, St. Paul continues to speak about Christian freedom, a topic that had come up in discussion concerning meat offered to idols. Paul uses himself as an example of how he has set aside his authority as an apostle in order to proclaim the gospel to all people. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Doug Gribbenaw. Pastor Gribbenaw serves as mission advocate for KFUO Radio in St. Louis, Missouri. Pastor Gribbenaw, welcome back to Sharper Iron. It's always a pleasure to be back. I, I love these Bible studies. Um, Pastor, even if I'm not on them, it's actually kind of weird to listen to myself oh. <laughs> you know, right. on the yeah. radio. So it's, I would really appreciate all the work that you do. It's, it's a great series, and First Corinthians is, is a great book. God be praised. Uh, so yeah, it's it, really a pleasure to be back. So I am I'm with you on on having uh, trouble listening to myself on the radio. That's that's definitely a difficult one, but uh, but certainly an, a wonderful opportunity that we have to study the scriptures together. It's a real joy for me to be able to to sit down with fellow brothers in the ministry and to to read God's word and let it sharpen our faith together. So uh, a great opportunity to do that with you today, Pastor Gribbenaw, in First Corinthians nine. So give us some context. What should we know about our friends in Corinth, what Paul has written to them, and anything that'll help us with this chapter today? Well, you know, I, uh, there's a wonderful, reassuring nature uh, to 1 Corinthians in that this church is kind of like mine. It's not perfect. <laughs> there's problems, there's struggles, there's infighting, there's division, and yet this is the body of Christ. So I find that wonderful comfort, even you know, in the midst of your congregation. If you're going through some challenges, um, you know, maybe maybe your pastor is retired, he's taking another call, you're in a vacancy, or or you just have a, a real clash of personalities or a difference of opinion of what ministry should look like, you know, what sort of outreach should the congregation be doing. These are the struggles that are real, these are struggles that have been going on for well honestly even predating the first century this is this is what life is with our lord and with our brothers and sisters right we are at the same time saints and sinners uh, and and the wonderful thing is that the love of christ that is poured into us that we cannot help but to pour out to one another uh it covers a multitude of sins and so even here, this, this church planted by the great St. Paul uh, is enduring its own struggles. So a, a good encouragement to pastors out there, if you're having a, 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 you know, the flock feels more like a herd of cats. Well, even the great St. Paul struggled with this. But also brothers and sisters in the pews, you know, if, if your church doesn't seem like that ideal congregation that you have built in your head, the, the Norman Rockwell painting, it's okay. This is real. And... And this too endures. This is a part of our life, and uh, and so here in in this word for us today, we also have both wonderful practical um, 
recommendations, practical talk from St. Paul, from the Holy Spirit, and also the wonderful confidence that the church shall endure in, in spite of our own failings because it is founded on that one rock, and that rock is Christ. Mm. Yeah, Paul, Paul says at the beginning of this epistle, I desire to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. And we have seen how that foundation has carried its way through this entire epistle thus far and continues to do so in our section for today. Uh, yesterday, Pastor Gribbenau, we talked about this matter of meat sacrifice to idols, and that matter kind of recedes into the background in chapter 9. It seems that Paul is taking a, a bit of a step back and going through that that underlying foundation of love for the Christian brother, and he's going to give us another example of what that might look like within the life of the Church concerning himself. So we're not going to talk too much about meat being sacrificed to idols today, but the conversation that we had over chapter 8 will have a lot of bearing, and we need to keep that in mind for what's going on in chapter 9 today, I think. And the wonderful sort of connection here is this this freedom we have in Christ. And that's and that's where he sort of connects and, and, and hooks us into chapter 9, even beginning by saying, am I not free? Have I not been loosed from these, these laws, these regulations, this way of the world, uh, which, is, which is not just, you know, cultic practices and things like that, but really loosed from sin and made free in the gospel. And this is where we're moving then, uh, free in this whole food from idols, right? And, and of course, now we're moving into this, this freedom in the life of the church and the wonderful uh, sort of juxtaposition that, that Paul brings us here establishing rights, but then freely giving them up. And this is really the, the, the sort of the ontology of, of the Christian, you know, that we are the free master of all things, right? And yet we are the servant of all for the sake of Christ. Hmm. Yeah, so Paul, as he said at the end of the last chapter, if food makes my brother stumble, I, he uses his own self as an example, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. So he's going to keep setting himself up as an example for the Church, again, in the way that he makes use of this freedom he has in Christ in the spirit of love, which is what he wants the Corinthians to do as well. So with those thoughts in mind, let's turn to the text. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul writes, and brother, if I may, we'll uh, we'll start with a with a word of prayer too. Absolutely, uh, as we approach God's word. So, Lord God, Heavenly Father, without your help, our labor is useless, and without your light, our search is in vain. Invigorate our study of your holy word, that by due diligence and right discernment we may establish ourselves and others in your holy faith, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, here's the text. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. 
Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have, no use, I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward, but if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with the stewardship. What then is my reward? That, in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. That's our text for today. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 to 27. Pastor Gribbenov, Paul starts this chapter with a series of rhetorical questions. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Take us into those opening questions and how he begins to speak about himself in this chapter. It betrays that there that these are the problems that he's addressing. Uh, that you know that you are still bound by these laws. Uh, you know, especially taking the context here of the the meat sacrificed to idols. You know, according to the the old ceremonial laws that that was taboo, and uh, and of course you know the the Hebrew of Hebrews you know the the the, the Jew of Jews here Saint Paul would certainly know that you know so they're saying you know well why are you doing this you should be doing that so there's this this question of his freedom there's this question that he's actually an apostle, and it's interesting that he says have I not seen Jesus our Lord now if we call back to uh, to really what it is that makes an apostle, especially when we were filling that apostolic vacancy in the book of Acts. You know, one of the key metrics was that the apostle had been a witness of the resurrection, that they had seen the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, St. Paul had. <laughs> it knocked off his proverbial high horse, right? He had beheld the resurrected Lord. 
who asked him, why are you persecuting me, Saul? And so then St. Paul, you know, has seen and he absolutely fulfills this apostleship. Uh, and he is indeed an apostle. But this, this, these are the challenges that he's facing of people questioning whether or not he's legitimate. And really that, that leads into this whole thing of, of his compensation, if you will, that he should make his living by the gospel, as is, as is God's intention for the office of the ministry. You know, you, and, and it's uh, and sort of looking ahead, he mentions how he has not exercised this right that the Lord has established. Later on he does, and, and that sort of feeds in here that perhaps that very fact that he wasn't, you know, looking for his living to be brought forth from the congregation, that he could dedicate his time entirely to the proclamation of the gospel, but that he and Barnabas were working, right, because they didn't want to put a burden on the the church there in Corinth. Well, some are now taking his his wonderful gift of charity and his love for these people and, and his sacrifice in his own in his own time and livelihood as a, as a sign that he's not really an apostle, that he wouldn't exercise this right to draw forth his living from the congregation simply because he himself knows himself not to be an apostle. So that it, it's really one of those no-win situations and quite a lot like the, the questioning that our Lord endured from the Pharisees and the Sadducees uh, and the council, you know, th- these trick questions. So really, Paul, I think is at this point, he's, he's like, he's ready to put it to rest that, that these people are causing division in the church. They are injuring the body of Christ. And while we do not know extra biblically, you know, how many times he's probably addressed and approached each of these people, of course, because, you know, that, that is what, you know, the, our, our commandment is that we should go to our brother one-on-one, right? And then bring witnesses and then bring it to the church. Well, it's at the point where now he has to address this publicly, openly, and bluntly and say, yes, no, I am. I am free. I am an apostle. I have seen the Lord Jesus Christ. And more than that, you being called by the gospel, called by this same word that has been preached by each and every one of us who are apostles, you are to yourselves proof of what I've been saying, of what I am called to do of my apostleship, for you believe the gospel. And even if there are others who are doubtful of this, at least I am an apostle to you. That's where he talks about the seal of my apostleship in the Lord, that they have been called by the gospel, that what he has preached is the eternal, enduring word of God. And that's really what he's laying out is, that is proof enough, uh, at, at the very least, for you. My, my dear children in the faith, Church of Corinth. Mm. Yeah, it, that language of dear children in the faith, that's what my mind was going to back in chapter 4, where he, he says that he's been a father to them in Christ, and that, that relationship that he's got with this congregation comes through again. We see that in Acts chapter 18, and again throughout this epistle, that he loves these, these Christians there in Corinth, and he speaks to them in that love. As you said, the, the thing that comes up in this chapter when he talks about you know, don't I have the right or the authority to do this particular thing? That particular thing that, that seems to be in mind for most of it has to do with his matter of compensation. And just for the background, Paul here is, he lets the Corinthians know, hey, remember, 
I didn't receive compensation from you when I preached the gospel. Rather, he he made his living doing his tent making business. That's we find that out elsewhere in, in the book of Acts that he was a tent maker, and so that often supported his proclamation of the gospel. But he reminds them here: think about what I could have done that I rightly, with the authority of God, could have received from you this matter of compensation. And so he, he brings that up in the next couple of verses in chapter excuse me, verses 3 and following, he even brings up some of the other apostles who who made use of this authority to receive compensation. What does Paul bring out in verses 3 through 7, the next paragraph? Well, you know, he, he first points to the other apostles and the way in which their ministries have been carried out. Uh, do I not have the right to eat and to drink? That is, to, to have, you know, really the, the daily bread of my sustenance uh, drawn from the people who are who are receiving these spiritual things that, that the Lord has entrusted to the apostles to deliver, that the Lord entrusts to his preachers to give these free gifts. Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? And you know, this part here, every time I read this, uh, it, it, it sort of sets me on my side because we, we culturally have this thing, uh, you know, from the Roman Catholic Church that the priest is to be unmarried. And, and yet here we have you know, this proof that, that the apostles were married. They had believing wives, and it, it's it's Adolf. Oh, it's it's the feminine form of Adolfoi, uh, which is to say, you know, a believing one or a Christian wife. Uh, and 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 again, it reinforces this understanding that to be a pastor, uh, to be an under shepherd, uh, is to you know be the the husband of one wife, but to be of one household of faith. Right. So, do I not have the right to do this? And and the apostles were married. They had wives, and, and these were their helpmeets in this ministry going forth. Or is it only Barnabas and I, right? Is it just the two of us? Do you guys just not like us? I mean, it's, it's sort of one of those where all we've done for you guys, and, 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 and it's just us, you know, all these other guys. You know, the, and part of the reason that he brings in Cephas, which is, of course, the Aramaic for, for Peter, Right. I mean, he does have this, he's the first among equals. He's really sort of the, the preeminent you know, apostle. He's the apostle amongst the equals. You know, he carries a certain gravitas. Sure. And so as Peter does, uh, then, then you know, that's part of the example. Right? And so Paul's pointing to that. He's saying, you know, if it's okay for Peter, you know, should it not be okay for all of the apostles? Right? We have this. And, and you can sort of almost sense that hurt. You know, is it just me and Barnabas? You could just, just don't like us. <laughs> we don't have the right. Who serves as a soldier of his own expense? And I think back to St. Paul talking about putting on the armor of God, right? You know, that, that we are. We are in God's army. And, and who, you know, what soldier does this of his own? He pays for his own armor. He just goes out and fights the battle and comes back and says, ah, don't worry about it. It was, it was great. That's what superheroes do. <laughs> And in a sense, you know, that's that really is what our Lord Jesus Christ did. You know, he, he did all of this. He, he was the soldier at his own expense, uh, at the expense of his own life for, for you and I. And in that regard, each and every one of us who's been called into the body of Christ, you know, by the gospel through the Holy Spirit, well, we, we are, in a sense, uh, soldiers who, who fight at our own expense, but really at the expense of our Lord. Uh, and, and so I, that imagery always pulls into my head. In the human secular world, that would be ridiculousness. And yet in the church, 
you know, that, that could be all right. And this sort of looks forward to what St. Paul's going to say is, yeah, I didn't exercise these things that I could do, that in any other context and setting would have been ridiculous and foolish, and you'd look at me as if I was out of my mind. But for the sake of the gospel in the church, that's how, that's how we roll, <laughs> because we love our Lord, we love the gospel. And really all of this points to and reemphasizes that core teaching of St. Paul, that our salvation is a free gift of God. It's not something to be purchased, not something to be won. It is something that is absolutely given to us without any condition, but a free gift. And and St. Paul emulates that. Mm. On the yeah. other side of that same coin, then, should not we who receive these amazing gifts be so joy-filled as to, to return to the Lord and to those who delivered these things, wonderful gifts as well? And that is you know, really the, the support and care for our pastors, but also for the household of faith. That we should mm. joyfully and freely give these things, uh, not, not counting out that 10% and making sure, but you know, as the Spirit moves you, to joyfully support and love our church and the mission work we do and, and, the, and the called workers who, who have really given up the secular world's success to, to do this. I'm thinking of the the LCMS has the new initiative, the Set Apart to Serve, which we've been talking about a little bit on KFUO Radio. And uh, and you know, I was I was one of those second career guys. You know, I worked in the nonprofit industry, which you know to begin with wasn't the the highest paying thing, right? You know, nonprofit world. But you know, I I, I lived comfortably. I lived very well. And my wife and I we we pulled up stakes and we moved and and entered the ministry. Went to seminary. Um, <laughs> and I went to one of the most expensive times, <laughs> but you know, we had, it was, it was for the love of the gospel and every pastor I've ever known. Um, and, and I've met a few more than I thought I ever probably would. That that's the common thread. We love our Lord. We love the gospel and we love the people and we want them to be with us forever. <laughs> Even the ones we fight with, right? St. Right. Paul's the same way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul. Paul will again. Eating of the fruit, right? Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just say Paul. Paul will. I mean, as much as he in this section is talking about the authority of the pastor to receive his compensation from the proclamation of the gospel, he will uphold that as a teaching that comes from the Lord Himself. Paul also is going to make the point: I did not do this among you for this reason, which he which he details later in, in this section. And again, I think the, the main thrust of this within the section in 1 Corinthians is have this same sort of mind when you think about whether or not you're going to eat meat according to idols, or that have been offered to idols. Do you have the authority to do something like that? Yes, you have that kind of knowledge, but use that knowledge in love for the sake of others who are hearing the gospel. And Paul's going to do the same thing when it comes to his right, his authority to receive compensation from the preaching of the gospel. Before we leave that, that section behind where, the, where Paul brings up the rights, the authority of the other apostles, and particularly Cephas, just to connect a few dots, recall back in chapter 1 of this epistle, there were various factions in, in the church in Corinth, one of which was a, a faction that says, I follow Cephas. And although from, say, the book of Acts, we don't have any evidence or any account of Peter going to the church in Corinth. 
from that verse in the first chapter and from this verse here in chapter 9, it does seem that Peter very likely would have traveled through Corinth at one point, and bringing his wife along with him. And we know, again, that you know Peter has a wife from this text, as well as from the Gospels. At one point, Jesus is in the, the house of Peter's mother-in-law, and he heals Peter's mother-in-law, so he's, he is married. And There's this only is, one way to get a mother-in-law. That's right. <laughs> got to be married. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and and just and not to not to pick on our, our Roman Catholic friends too much, but but just as a, a just a brief aside, because this matter of the marriage of pastors has come up previously in First Corinthians, particularly chapter seven. It's always struck me as, as quite remarkable that in the same the same denomination that has historically forbidden pastors to be married. The one that they would count as the first pope was, and uh, it's always made me scratch my head a little bit, Pastor Grimano. <laughs> well, nobody's perfect, right? Wasn't that what we would say? <laughs> so, yeah, but Peter was married, and and again, right. this is this is yeah. an aside, but it is something that the Lutheran confessions talk about. It's okay for your pastor to be married, and the, you know, and that's actually a. I, I know this is completely outside of First Corinthians, but you know we just had Reformation Day. It was just a little while ago. I love Halloween, right? <laughs> but you know, and and you know Luther and Katie, um, I, the 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 history books. You know, it, it wasn't necessarily that they you know locked eyes and it was love at first sight, and they said, "Oh, well, we have to get married." No, there there really was also a, a sort of political impetus that said. You know, really, Luther, you talk about this, this wonder of marriage and how it is God ordained it. It's, this, it's a beautiful, blessed estate, you know, just as good as the quote unquote religious life or the second, you know, all these things. It, you probably ought to think about getting married, you know, because it, it's going to send a, a really powerful statement. And and so, you know, it wasn't that sort of love at first sight. Katie and Martin, you know, couldn't, couldn't possibly not be married. But then you read the letters between them and, and he would write to Katie very often. And and I I think for Luther, his eyes may be opened a bit at the really he had written beautifully and wonderfully about marriage, the estate of marriage, and uh, it, you know, especially the way that the, the Lord's word describes it. I think he really experienced that fullness because he has such love for his wife Katie. And and uh, parenthetically, also for the beer that she made, he used to rave about that too in some of the letters. But you know, there was a real love there, and I think he experienced it so fully. And even though Saint Paul, you know, unwed, one of those who is celibate, you know, he too, I think, you know, is championing that wonderful union and the blessings that come from from what God has 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 joined together, right, of husband and wife. Uh, so wonderful gifts for you know that uh, that we have in marriage. And, and a wonderful affirmation that that this is a good thing, uh, and a, and a benefit uh, for for pastors. You know, for myself, I think I've been a better pastor now that I've had my own kids, because uh, I I see in them me in relation to our Lord. You know, I'm very often like that little toddler. I know better. I'm still gonna do it, <laughs> and then I need to repent. And the same thing with our flocks. Just our whole life together. Uh, so. The, Little little sidebar excursus on sure. marriage. It's a great That's thing. Right. Uh, God right. ordained and a benefit for for our church and a benefit for the pastors. Uh, but we would also not require that our, every pastor be married either. Right? Yep. We're not going to go that That's other right. way either. That's <laughs> so, right. That's right. Yeah. So a little bit of a 
a little bit of a, a rabbit trail there, but it is it what Paul says there about a, a believing wife for the apostles very much applies. And thanks be to God for his gift of marriage given to pastors and to to anyone uh, who who desires that gift of the lifelong union of a man and a woman in that precious bond. We're gonna keep talking about Paul's words here in First Corinthians nine on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Doug Gribbenall this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Lutheran Church Extension Fund exists to support Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and church workers. How do we do this? Your investment with LCEF makes it possible for LCMS churches, schools, organizations, and church workers to receive low-cost loans for new and growing ministries. And faithful Lutherans like you, church members and church workers alike, make that possible when you invest with LCEF. Learn more at lcef.org. LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, December 1st. We're studying 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 to 27 with Pastor Doug Gribbenau. He is a mission advocate for KFUO Radio in St. Louis, Missouri. Pastor Gribbenau, prior to the break, we went through Paul's examples as to why he and the other apostles do, in fact, have this authority to receive compensation for the preaching of the gospel— although he will tell us in just a few verses that he does not make use of that right. He's used some human examples as to how this works. Soldiers don't serve at their own expense. Those who plant vineyards, they eat the grapes. Those who tend the flock, they drink the milk from the sheep. So there are some human examples for those who do the work, they receive compensation. But then Paul says, hey, this isn't just a human authority this is God's idea. The law says the same thing. And he quotes a verse from the book of Deuteronomy, from the law of Moses, he says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Now, what do oxen have to do with pastors? <laughs> I love how St. Paul then introduces that again. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Well, on the one hand, yes. I mean, the, God, the Lord <laughs> is concerned right. with all that He has created, right? He continues to sustain all things. Uh, but uh, you know, you know there, there is something we said about bullheaded Lutherans, right? You know, <laughs> we are a bit like an ox. No, it is it is the concern for the worker, the one who is doing the labor. Uh, you know, it, it, does He not speak entirely for our sake? Which is really to say that all Scripture is God breathed and useful for for training, for reproof, for correction. Uh, for, for training in righteousness, that, that all of this really is for our benefit. These things are written, right? Um, and, and so what he is saying is it's written for our sake. The plowman should plow in hope, right? The work that they're putting in, and this is just the way of, of the natural order of things, right? And the Lord has established order. Uh, the trespass of Adam brought disorder into that, but the undergirding uh, structure is, is, is still there, right? So the... You plow in hope, right? The thresher in hope that from this labor, 
you know, and by the sweat of your brow, as we have in, in the curse, that we will, you know, reap forth our, uh, our, our, our living. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things among you? And this is where he really makes that wonderful connection. You know, we, we put all of this work into the perishable things of the world, and we feel rightly that we need to, you know, take from that our living, and we should, you know, put in a lot of work, you're going to get out of that. Well, what is sown in the church, what is sown in the proclamation of the gospel, is of so much greater value than the things in this world that will pass away, where mold and moth, you know, come and destroy well, is it too much to ask for a few perishable, um, unimportant, you know, temporal things uh, for those who deliver these these gifts of eternal value? Uh, so if others share this rightful claim on you, you know, for the, the worker who's worked the field, the, you know, the, the, the contractor who's, you know, come into your home to redo your blinds, you know, it, if they do not have the right to, you know, if they, if they certainly have that right, should not your pastor have even more for the value of of what is of what is there? Yeah, and yeah. really, and so, that, yeah. That, that's sort of the hammer. And and I, I almost could think if if you've ever seen the Princess Diaries two, right, where she's addressing the uh, the, the the nobles there to change the law that she can't you know can be queen without being married, right? Yeah. And, and her advisor is saying, stare them down, softer, softer. I, I could almost see St. Paul pausing, really, and just you know, look at him and say, like, you, you feel the weight of what I'm saying here. And just as, and, and a wonderful sermon here, right, just as that law is setting in to crush them, he picks up, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, <laughs> me and Barnabas. And he pulls it back, and then he's going to explain to them why, even though, you know, the law is working there and saying, we really ought to. We haven't, and there's a reason, and that's where he's taking us next. Sure, yeah, yeah, and, and before he, now you're right, he starts to make that turn in the middle of verse 12, where he says, nevertheless, we have not made use of this authority. We, we by all rights, should receive compensation. We have not made use of it. Uh, before, before he leaves that, or really dwells on that. He does bring up a couple more examples from the Old Testament, which we've talked about recently here on Sharper Iron when we studied the book of Leviticus. Those employed in the temple service, they get their food from the temple. Those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. When we were studying the book of Leviticus, that was made plain throughout, that the priests, the Levites, they were receiving compensation from the sacrifices in the form of food. And, 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 says, and their families too, the Levite, right. the Levitical families, right? Those who, who, you know, their their daughters who could not be priests, right? They too were receiving their meals, right, from their fathers who received it from that from the offering. Yeah, that's right, that's right. And so again, Paul Paul makes it very plain that what he chooses to do in giving up this rightful authority that he does have, the Lord still has a very clear command that. Those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And what Paul chooses to do in his Christian freedom doesn't negate that command. And I guess just to—because I do want to keep moving along in the text, but just to, to briefly think about this, you know, as, as those who serve in the pastoral office, our, our thoughts are, how do we serve this congregation? And those who then are in the, in the hearing office, those who are, are in the congregation— 
their their thoughts are well how do we how do we serve our pastor how do we care for him physically and and at its best when the pastor is concerning himself with caring for the congregation and the congregation is concerning themselves with caring for the the pastor physically it's a beautiful thing and and what a what a glorious thing and i know we were both sharing that we've we've both we've both been well cared for as as pastors uh, god be praised for his for his faithful people who do that uh, but something for all of us to keep in mind that when we hear the gospel we should we should joyously respond in in thanksgiving and and in physical support for those who proclaim it i i think what luther was he he put to pen about about the lord's supper and that if people really understood what was being offered there you know, at the altar with the, the body and blood of Jesus, they'd, they'd climb mountains, they'd pile over each other, they'd break down doors, they would do anything they can possibly do to get to that altar, to get that gift. And, and in the same light, if we truly understand and recognize, you know, with the eyes of faith, the wonderful gifts are, you know, how, how joyously do we give to the church? Which is not to say that people don't. And it's just we have a, we, we are, um, we are we are fallen creatures, and and sometimes it is hard. Um, it, it's it's hard, especially in times of you know the economic hardships. That you know it, it's a, it's a real challenge to balance all of the demands in our different vocations. But really, that that first vocation uh, that we look to and we trust, right, is is that vocation of being a saint of the Lord, right, of being a child of God, and to trust that He will He will care for us. And even in our church, that he cares for his church, right? Even your little congregation in the middle of nowhere that, that maybe you think God's overlooked because you're tiny and, and nobody else knows about you. The Lord sees you. He loves you and he will care for you. And, and in the same way, though, I've, I've known many a pastor who uh, will gladly, like St. Paul, take a reduction in salary to stay and serve and love the people and and really, better than any pay, any mammon, is is faithful people who love the Lord and love the gospel. And mm-hmm. and and yes, as a, as a father, as a husband, you know, you do need to be able to pay pay the rent and you know buy the groceries. Uh, but but what really fills that tank, you know, the best payment uh, for a pastor is people who love the word word of God, love the gospel, love our Lord Jesus, and and love one another. That's that's worth gold, <laughs> and every I think uh, every pastor is going to agree. Sure, yeah, absolutely. And so for the for the pastor, keep your eyes focused on that, and and for the congregation, keep your eyes focused on on supporting your pastor physically. Right, we we do well when instead of making the other group think what, rather than making the other party do what we think they need to be doing, we do much better to focus on doing what we should be doing. So congregations, support your pastors physically. Pastors, care for your congregation spiritually. And when we focus on the roles God has given us, uh, and we're each doing that to the benefit of the other, things generally tend to go well. Amen. Amen. So that takes us then to Paul now getting to the, the point. He's laid out very clearly pastors, those who proclaim the gospel, have a command from God that they can and should receive compensation for that. However, Paul has forsaken that. He has willingly laid aside the authority that would rightfully be his to receive his compensation, and he hasn't done that for a very wonderful purpose 
for the sake of proclaiming the gospel and for others believing that gospel. So that takes us really into takes us into the next paragraph, verses 15 to 18. Yeah, I've made no use of any of these rights, uh, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provisions. He's he's really got a view to a diagnosing the 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 ill within the congregation. Because really, you know, St. Paul and, and every pastor knows that there will be a shepherd to follow after them. There will be a shepherd who comes to care for the flock. And we want to, to correct and admonish and, and build up in the faith as best we can uh, for, for the next under-shepherd who's going to come along. You know, I'm not calling you to do these things for me. I'm not going to exercise these rights. But he's put it there to say, you know, there will be one that comes after me. You need to, you know, treat him well, care for him, love him, so that he is free of the worries of the world to care for and treat and love you in your spiritual ills. But overriding all this is is really preaching that gospel. And that's the burning passion in St. Paul and, and, and really in every pastor. If I preach the gospel, that gives me no grounds for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. That's the thing. There is nothing else that really you know a pastor can do other than to proclaim the gospel. That, that's the ontology of what a pastor is. You know, the, we call it the predikamt, using that fancy German word. It's the preaching and teaching office. It's what you do. Uh, it's and and really, that's a wonderful thing for us to remember. The office of pastor is not to make sure that the balance, the budget's balanced, that. You know the electric bill is is uh, paid on time. That you know the the pews are are oiled and waxed. You know the the office of the ministry is the preaching and the teaching office. You know to put forth that gospel, and the rest of it. You know it's it's not a CEO and administrative thing. It's really about the gospel, and we can't do anything else. That is the necessity laid upon us. That's that yoke. Um, that that you know the stole there symbolizes. For woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I do it of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. And the office of the ministry is entrusted with these these gifts uh, that are everlasting and eternal. The forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation we have in Christ Jesus in the, His Word, uh, explained, preached, and proclaimed. And so this is this is just what we do. So what is the reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge. And that's, that's right there what he is, the, the, the point upon which I think this whole chapter uh, rotates around. What is the point of it? That the gospel is a free gift. It's a free gift of God, uh, you know, given to us, you know, in the death and resurrection of Jesus, apart from any works of the law. It's absolutely free. And the full use of the rites in the gospel is always, for St. Paul, for, for your faithful pastor, always going to be back to here, that the gospel, this is God's free gift, and what a treasure we have to proclaim. Hmm. So as, as Paul reflects then on the way that he has done that in his apostolic ministry, in verses oh, 19 to 23, he really lays out the way that he did this, the way that he did not make use of his full rights in receiving compensation. What does he say in that next paragraph? In in short, you know, all things, all people, right? You know, that for, for the, so that he could be a servant of all, right? He is, I have made myself a servant of all. I am a free from all, 
but I made myself a servant of all because I love them. And if, if I need to follow along in these customs, right, as a Jew, I shall do so, that they may hear the word of the gospel, right? I'm not going to let the barriers of a culture or a practice you know, as long so long as it's not contrary to God, right? We 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 obey God and not men, right? There are certain practices we're not going to do, right? But for the Jews, I became a Jew in order that they might hear the word of God. For those under the law, I became as one under the law. You know, speaking here of of the Jews, right? They they're still under these cultic practices, these ceremonial practices. Paul knows them; he can navigate it. He's going to do it so that they can hear the gospel. He's not going to eat that meat sacrificed from the idols so that the man he's sitting next to will not be scandalized and will be open to hearing of Christ. To those outside the law, right, to the Gentiles, right, <laughs> to those, those unbelieving heathens out there in the world, he became like one of them, right, because, you know, he didn't become outside the law. He was not a lawbreaker, lawless man. He was not going to sin just so that they might hear the gospel, but he became like them. He walked with them. He, he worked with them within the bounds of the law of Christ, right? Because we are still under the law, but it's the law of love, right? That I might talk to them and give them the gospel. For the weak, I became weak. And really, this points us right back to the end of chapter 8, right? For the weaker brother, I will never eat meat if it's for that sake, for that weaker brother that he could hear the gospel. You know, it's not about, in the eyes of the world, when you have a right you exercise it, you beat people up with it, you make sure that your rights are there and protected and always put in a place, and you exercise them at every moment, right? In, in, our, in our reality, um, that we are, when we are weak, he is strong. You know, we do not exercise our rights um, because we are bound by the law of love. We do things for others. We count others more important than ourselves. That's, that's the nature, the ontology of, of what it is to be a Christian. And it's, it's a tough thing because it's not the way of the world. And it's not the way that we are, are you know, naturally in our, in our fallen flesh, wired. It's a very different thing. It's that, that new man that rises out of baptism every day. Because that old man's always there in the background saying, yeah, but... <laughs> So it's a hard thing, and that's and that's really, I think, where he brings us back then into this. It's a matter of endurance. It's a matter of discipline, of training, of staying in the Word, of feeding, of feeding the new man within in Word and sacrament, of studying God's Word to silence the questions and the doubts of the old Adam, and to be able to refute the the attacks, the assaults, the tricks of the devil. It's it's a big deal, and, and it takes work, yeah. um, because we live this side of glory. And and the devil doesn't sleep. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Before we before we move too far into that that sure. last paragraph of our text, just to to make a, a point that you you did bring out, when Paul talks about becoming all things to all people, and and say you know this variety of ways that he describes that, he is not talking about becoming a heathen or or becoming a, a pagan or an idol worshiper. There there are. There are lines that Paul draws, I suppose, because God's word draws draws those lines. And I guess the, the way that I would I would try to to bring this out within the, the language of this chapter and the rest of this epistle, when you go back into verse 12, where Paul says, We have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. So Paul does not want himself 
or any other preacher to be an obstacle or a stumbling block. But we've already heard him say that the gospel itself is a stumbling block. And so that doesn't mean that Paul's going to, say, preach false doctrine to somehow win someone. Rather, he's trying to move all the other obstacles out of the way, all the other stumbling blocks out of the way, so that the only stumbling block there is is the gospel, which, although it is a stumbling block to some, is also the power of salvation for those who believe. And so I think you you brought you bring that out. I just think that's a helpful reminder for us. He's not saying anything goes, but rather I think he's saying, look, the only stumbling block we need to have out there is the only one that matters. That's the gospel, and that's the power of salvation. So get the other stumbling blocks out of the way so that that's what is central. Christ crucified, nothing else. Amen. You know, it, it is, it's speaking the truth in love because we're speaking of Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. Which, so, so we cannot, you know, condone and give passes to lawlessness, uh, to, to wickedness. Uh, we're not undercover FBI agents who have to do coke with the drug dealers so they'll trust us. That's not how this works. And, and sort of the word that we use within you know, theological language here is, is adiaphora, right? The things that are not commanded, the things that are not forbidden, the things that we have liberty to do. And so this adiaphora is what we can set aside and move and, and, and play with, if you will, for the sake of, of, of engaging people where they are. But if it's, if, it's, if it's a thing that the Lord has commanded shall be done, if it's a thing the Lord has commanded shall not be done, well, we obey God rather than men. Um, and so the adiaphora we can play with. That's the fancy word we use for that. But if God said, don't do it, we don't do it. If God says, do it, by golly, we do it. Um, because we, <laughs> because that, those things are non-negotiable, right? It's, that's and, right? And that's the wonderful freedom we have. You know, that freedom that he talks about, am I not free? We are not slaves to sin anymore. We're not slaves to these passions. We don't have to be wicked uh, idolaters, unbeliever heathens. You know, but we have this wonderful freedom now to do the will of God, to, to love others and to care for them. We have that freedom. You know, it might feel to the old Adam like a, a list of work, of stuff you have to do. But the new man, you know, right, that third use of the law, you know, the law says, you shall do this. And the new man says, hey, already done. Isn't that great? Because yeah, <laughs> I love to right. do it. That's right. That's right. So now, now Pastor Gribbon, help us into that last paragraph where Paul talks about racing and athletes and beating the air, disciplining the body. Uh, and just as just so that, that you kind of pace our, our time together, we've got about four minutes here to cover this and help wrap things up. Uh, yes, that's the other thing pastors love to do is talk, right? And, <laughs> Guilty as charged. Absolutely. So right here, you know, we, we, he's used sort of human examples, right? You know, you, you don't muzzle the ox while it's trading the grain, right? You know, you, you go ahead, you pay the, the laborer his wages, right? What he's due. The soldier is paid. He doesn't fight at his own expense. And then he brings us back to another real-world example. And, and in, of course, the competitions, the bread and circuses of the ancient world, right? You know, they were going after a prize, right? The runners in this race, they're going after a prize. And it's, and it's a perishable one. And look at all of the work that they're doing. And, and the thing is that it's, it's, a, it's this laurel wreath, Right? which is actually the, the wonderful Greek word for it is a, it's a crown, a Stephanus. I mean, they're racing to get this crown. And the other thing that Christians we are doing in our endurance race is to achieve that crown of life everlasting. 
So all the work that these these mortals are putting in for a perishable little wreath of laurels, you know, uh, maybe made of gold or whatnot, all of that work, self-control, discipline, you know, working out for these things, um, they put so much work into it and only one of them gets it. And the wonderful thing about the race that our Lord has has lifted us out of the mud and the muck of sin and put us on this race, uh, it's a narrow way, but but the wonderful thing is there's a crown for everyone who believes in the name of Jesus. So we're not, you know, batting around in the air. It's not a fantasy. It's not a false thing. Uh, for if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, we are the most to be pitied, right? No, this is something amazing and wonderful. And everyone who runs the race, right, <laughs> by the help of the Holy Spirit, nourished by the word and the sacraments, well, there's a crown for everyone. Not just one, but something that will never, ever fade an imperishable crown, the Stephanos of life everlasting. And so, yes, we do. We discipline our body. We keep it under control. We don't let our passions guide us and control us. We don't give in to the temptations of this world and the sins and all these things. We keep it under control. We do it by God's word, by the loving discipline of our brothers and sisters in Christ, by the loving discipline of our pastors. And we do it so that we may not be disqualified, right? That we hold fast in faith to the salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus, that free gift that we would give everything up for to give to to you, that our Lord Jesus Christ um, gave everything to win you from, from sin, from death, from the power of the devil, that we might live with him and with each other forever. Under four minutes, yes. Yeah, under four <laughs> minutes. Well done, well done, well said. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Pastor Doug Gribbenaw is mission advocate for KFUO Radio in St. Louis, Missouri. He has been helping us today to study 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 to 27. Pastor Gribbenaw, thanks for being our guest today. Thanks for having me out, everybody. And remember, you know, love your Lord and, and love each other. Right? It's, a, it's a gospel admonition, right? <laughs> God be praised. God be praised for his gospel, for the good news that Jesus Christ has died, risen, and ascended to be your Savior and mine. Thanks be to God for sending us preachers who proclaim this good news. God grant that we would support them physically. Thanks be to God for these preachers who are willing to sacrifice their own needs to proclaim the good news so that in that proclamation of Christ and him crucified, those who hear and believe would be saved. God grant that we would stay faithful, disciplining our bodies, running the race with endurance, keeping our eyes fixed on Christ. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about 1 Corinthians 9, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.